Praise God. So Christmas. Christmas is a great time of year. Isn't it? So good. It always, it always seems to come out of nowhere, doesn't it? It always seems like such a long... I don't know about you, but it's true in our household. It always seems like such a you know, long way away. Oh, yeah, it's two months of Christmas, three months, or three months of Christmas, two months of Christmas, one month of Christmas. Like, oh, it's like, it's, it's like two weeks yesterday. It's 13, it's 13 days' time. Okay. Crazy. But Christmas is great, isn't it? Uh, certainly as a family, we, we, love, we love Christmas. You kind of have to like Christmas in our house. You kind of have no choice. <laughs> but my kids both do love Christmas and still do. Elisa's going to be 18 this week, which I still can't get my head around. So I don't feel old enough to have an adult child. <laughs> I, know, I know many of you have got grandkids and some of you have got great grandkids as well. So I know you're, gonna, you're not going to feel sorry for me. Um, but yeah, I don't, we don't feel old enough to have an adult child, but there we are. But yeah, she's, she, she's great. So yeah. Exciting times. So, Christmas. So, we had a bit of a different message last week, but I've been doing a whole series. I'm going to continue this series, but related all to Christmas. So, we've been talking about from theology to reality, and, and talking about how it's great to have good theology. In fact, it's very, very important to have good theology, to understand about God, understand about how he, how he operates, how, how he works, what the cross is all about, and all those things that are central, that we're new creations, all those things that are central to who we are as Christians. Um, but it's important for us as believers that it isn't just head knowledge. It's not just something we just think, oh yeah, I get, I get that, like it's some kind of academic thing we understand. It has to be a reality in our lives. Otherwise, it's kind of, we're kind of missing, we're missing the point. It just becomes head knowledge. We know about God instead of knowing God. Two radically different things. A lot of people may think they know about God. Even some scholars who aren't even believers know about God or know about the Bible, but they aren't believers. So there's a huge difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Amen? So there's a huge difference between knowing about Jesus or knowing about Jesus and knowing who Jesus actually is. Amen? You know, what this Bible is far more than just a history book. It's got a lot of historical things in it, but it's far more than a history book. It's living and breathing the word of God. Amen? Praise God. So we should have great theology, but God wants it to be a reality um, in our lives. So that's what I want to talk about in a, in a Christmas sense this morning. You know, so there's lots we can say about Christmas. There's kind of lots... In the Bible about Christmas, you know, there's loads of prophecies in the Old Testament um, about who Jesus was going to be. There's, there's, there's prophecy after prophecy after, after prophecy um, about who Jesus was going to be. And you can see that right throughout the Old Testament. There's like really key uh, scriptures. We're going to look at some of those this morning. And then, so just look at the context of when Jesus came. So they had the prophecy of the Old Testament. The Jewish people, they, they understood the Messiah was, was promised. And, and obviously some people miss it, and we'll talk a, lot about, uh, a bit about that later. But they knew the Messiah had been promised. They, knew they, needed, a, they needed, needed a Messiah. The whole purpose of the sacrificial system, is, was, of course, was to point towards a need for, for Jesus, was, was a need for a Savior, for a Messiah, to, take, to deal with that issue once and for all, to take their sin uh, and to deal with it. So you kind of get the prophecies all throughout the Old Testament, kind of get Jesus... Like a pre-incarnate Jesus appearing in different parts of the Old Testament, don't you? Like with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace, and then it's, I believe that's Jesus appears there, and 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 even even Nebuchadnezzar's like it looks like it's one of the sons. It looks like a son of God or, or sons of the gods is, is there in the fire with them. What's it all about? And you have God walking with Adam and Eve in, in the, the call of the day right back in Genesis. I believe that's Jesus, pre-incarnate Jesus, and you kind of see this right throughout, right throughout um, the Old Testament. Then you kind of get to the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, and there's kind of a silence for hundreds of years, I think it's about 400 years. Um, there's basically nothing, no more added to the Old Testament. Well, it's kind of this big, <laughs> huge gap. So this is kind of where Israel was at that time, at the birth of Jesus. They had the Old Testament, they understood scriptures, they had rabbis to help them understand the scriptures, and, and then they kind of had this long, long silence after the book 
of Malachi in the context of, of, of when Jesus came, there's all this political turmoil going on. Israel had been, was then part of the Roman Empire, which, of course, spread right across Europe uh, and Israel at that time. There was a lot of political turmoil. People felt oppressed. They didn't feel free. Um, they, they didn't like the Romans at all, as most countries <laughs> didn't really like them because they just kind of, you know, did whatever they, Romans just took whatever they wanted to take, etc. So a lot of political turmoil going on in that, in that context. So this is kind of where Israel finds itself. It's 400 years of silence. Like, you know, a lot of people thinking, God, why aren't you speaking to us anymore? But there have been these prophecies about the coming Messiah. There's all political turmoil. When everything was just very messy about who, who do we obey? Do we obey God? Do we obey the Romans? And all that kind of stuff. And all this is the, kind of the mess of that situation. And, of course, there's a census. And the, the, and the Roman emperor at that time calls a census. Basically, wants to count the people in the Roman Empire. That must have been a huge logistical challenge because it was the whole of Europe then. A massive logistical challenge. Um, basically, to count how many people there were in, in the empire. So you had to go return to your home hometown, of course, uh, to be counted. So, so Joseph, Joseph, uh, Joseph, Joseph, Jesus' dad, obviously not his natural dad, but um, husband of Mary. Joseph was from the line of King David, so David's, David's town was Bethlehem. So David, had, uh, so that as a family, had to go to Bethlehem, and it, and it had been prophesied as well that Jesus, would, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. Then they get the whole kind of journey. Journey to Bethlehem happens, and then of course we get the shepherds. That Jesus is born. The shepherds visit Jesus. And, and two years later, it wasn't at the same time, the Magi, the wise men, they visit, uh, they visit Jesus. And then and King Herod is, gets, is really worried about who this baby is. Um, he, he commands all the boys under two to be, to be killed. That's how we know it's two years later. Because Herod asks all the boys under two um, uh, to be slaughtered in order to basically to get rid of, to get rid of Jesus. He's worried about, about who he is. And then he gets different warnings to Joseph in his dreams. And, and, and God protects them and looks after them as, as a family. So that's kind of the context of what, there's kind of loads of stuff going on here, isn't there? There's lots of different things you could preach on uh, specifically there. And then you kind of get the whole reality for Mary and Joseph in it all. And sometimes we can kind of you know, forget these, these were real people dealing with real emotions and real realities. The roller coaster of emotions it must have been for, for Mary and Joseph. The kind of, you know, just kind of the fear, an angel kept appearing to them. Well, that didn't kind of happen every day. <laughs> angels kept appearing to Joseph um, and, to, and to, to Mary. And he kind of got the feelings of disgrace that they had because Mary was pregnant. And then it was, in those times, would have been seen as a, you know, an awful, awful thing if you weren't married um, and you were pregnant. And, and Joseph, because of that, because they, they, would, they were um, engaged. But then engaged was, had, was a legal implication to being engaged then. It, was a very, it wasn't just kind of, well, we're going to get married. Um, it, was, it was actually a legal implication to it. You, know, you basically legally had to get married. So that's why it says Joseph decided to divorce her. They weren't married, but they were engaged because basically just not to bring disgrace on Mary or on the family. So you've got all these kind of emotions in it, kind of the emotions of joy in it all. You know, how, how must Mary have felt that she was going to give birth to the saviour of the world? That's, that's a pretty big responsibility, right? Wow. And it's just kind of the wonder of it all. Now these shepherds are turning up and there's wise men turning up and, you know, and just, and just watching Jesus grow up. But what a roller coaster of emotions it was for Mary and Joseph. You know, these, these are real people. How would we have dealt with it in that same uh, situation? Fear, disgrace, joy, and, and wonder, just uh, amazement in it all. So there's different kind of angles we can look at. But what I want to talk about specifically, because we're talking about from theology to reality, is about the reality of who this baby was. If all those other things are all important, the context and the time and etc. And how Mary and Joseph felt in it all, and all of it's really, really important, but... What is important above all else, amen, is who the baby was. Who the baby was, who the baby was destined to be. And I want to talk this morning about the reality of Jesus being the promised Messiah. 
the promised Messiah who is going to save us from our sins. I was going to save the Jewish people from their sins if they accepted who he was. So we use the word Messiah in Greek. That's the word Christ. Okay, they just mean they mean exactly the same thing. Okay, they mean anointed one. So it's Messiah in Hebrew. In Greek, it's um, Greek. It's Christ. Okay. So it's kind of a lot of things I think about um, Jesus crying up. I kind of wonder sometimes about what age Jesus actually knew who he was. Obviously, by the age of age of um, twelve, you find him in the temple, and is you kind of get that. Almost oh, funny story, but it's kind of not funny for the parent, where they kind of lose Jesus, don't they? They lose him for like three days. Um, they haven't noticed he's not, he's not with them. They're in a big, like, big crowd. Um, they go down to Jerusalem, and Jesus said, I had to be in my father's house. But what age did he understand um, who he was? don't know, because there's not, nothing actually said between kind of zero and 12, or between age two and age 12, and then nothing after that, till age 12 to age 30, when his ministry started. So... I don't know, it's interesting, wasn't it? Was Jesus kind of going to school, kind of as a, knowing he was a son of God? <laughs> how, how did that work? I don't know. But Jesus was, was destined to be our Messiah. Amen? And you get the prophecies of the coming Messiah right throughout the Old Testament. About this need for a Savior. Remember, that's, that's the point of the purpose, again, of the sacrificial system. To show the purpose that we need a Messiah. There needs to be a Messiah. You know, there are 65 direct predictions of Jesus coming in the Old Testament. 65 direct predictions of the Messiah that was going to come. You now Jesus even had some things to say about himself, uh, about this particular thing, about him being the Messiah, our Savior, our Lord. It says this, and this is after the resurrection. I'm sure you know this passage of Scripture is in Luke 24, after the resurrection. It says this, so some same day two of them, two of the disciples, or people who knew Jesus, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that happened. They're talking about the death and resurrection. It's literally only just, ha- just happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one who's in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days, it must have been hard for Jesus not to kind of <laughs> smile and laugh during, whilst I was asking these questions. What things, Jesus said, like, tell me, about Jesus of Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet. He was powerful in word and deed before God. And all the people, the chief priests and our rulers, they handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. So they'd have a revelation of who Jesus was as a Messiah. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. Just to put this in a bit of a historical context, <laughs> this wasn't right, but this is just how it worked in those times. Women were kind of like second-class citizens, and often it was assumed that women weren't telling the truth, which isn't right, obviously. <laughs> but it was just, it's just the reality of the culture, of, of the culture then. So that's, what, that's why they're saying this here. And in addition, some of the women amazed us, like, you're a woman. I don't know if that's true. Crazy. But anyway, that's how it worked. Then. So in addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they see the vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. This is a bit I really want to focus on, verse 25. Jesus had said to them, how foolish you are. That's a statement, isn't it? How foolish you are and how slow, how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses and the prophets, that's about the Old Testament, that's what, what Jews called the, called the Old Testament, and they still don't call it the Old Testament, because obviously for us it's the Old Testament, the New Testament. So they call it the Moses and, and the prophets. Moses, so Moses being the first five books, Genesis to Deuteronomy, and then all the other prophetic, prophetic books. 
So beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. So they had a revelation then of, of who Jesus was. So they prophesied right throughout the Old Testament about the Messiah that was going to come. Amen? That there was going to be a need for a Messiah. And this is where Israel were at at this stage. About, well, is, is this the Messiah? There's a whole load of different opinions at the time about who Jesus was. Jesus asked that big question, didn't he? About who do you say, asked his disciples, who do you say I am? Because people were, were saying, you know, people were kind of recognizing the miracles. But like, well, is this some kind of crazy guy? Um, you know, what, what it's all about. Is he just kind of like, I don't know, deceiving people? Um, is he here to destroy Judaism? You know, what's, is he some kind of political leader? And some thought he was like John the Baptist to come back from the dead. And so there's all kind of this uh, confusion at a time about who, just like there is in our day and age, about who Jesus um, actually, actually is. Uh, but he, for us as, as believers, we know he was the Messiah. Amen. And many of the Jews, of course, caught this and had a revelation of this, that he was the Messiah that had come. So as I said, Messiah means anointed one. He, he is God's anointed one, and he's been anointed um, for, for our benefit. And I'll come on to that later. So, so as I said, it's Christ in Greek. Christ is not Jesus' surname. <laughs> right? He's not Jesus Christ. He's not like Mr. Christ. Okay? It's not his surname. Okay? Jesus, or in Hebrew, Yeshua, it means the Lord who saves. It means the Lord who saves, or, or Yahweh saves, literally. It means the Lord who saves, and Christ means anointed one. So Jesus Christ literally means the Lord who saves the anointed one. One, aren't you glad about that? He's, he's, anointed, he's been anointed one to, in order to save us. Amen. That's he, Jesus, he who Jesus is. Amen. Praise God. And what I want to look at uh, this morning is three particular messianic prophecies, uh, all in the book of Isaiah. And there's other ones we could look at. As I said, there's 65 different references to Jesus coming. But the three I want to particularly look at um, in Isaiah this morning. So the first one's in Isaiah chapter, chapter 9. So remember that at the time that when Jesus was born, the Jewish people would have carried these things in their hearts. That Messiah was coming. They would have known these scriptures inside out. Isaiah 9 verse 6 to 7 says, for, uh, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And there's this, son, there's this child who will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So he got a huge, uh, major prophecy about Jesus. That that a child was going to be born, a, a son was going to be born. And then the very government, this very spiritual government would be upon his shoulders. He would be our wonderful counselor. Our, he would be our mighty God. He'd be, he's, he's our everlasting father. Again, it's, talking, it's very Trinitarian scripture. So our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Of the greatness of his government, there will be no end. So they would have carried this in their hearts. But there's a Messiah coming, and, and this is what he's going to do. The son is this child's going to be born, and this is what he's going to accomplish. Amen. Our counselor, our mighty God, our, father, our everlasting father, the prince of peace. Now, there was a lot of misunderstanding, just to give this some historical context, a lot of misunderstanding of this. A lot of people thought that, at the time, thought Jesus was going to overthrow the Romans. Because remember, the Romans were hated, as I said. Like, all the countries in Europe hated the Romans, because they just kind of you know, pillaged and took whatever they wanted. Um, you know, had a very brutal army, um, and the, kind of the way they took over countries, just conquering everywhere, here, there, and everywhere. So the Roman, Romans, Romans were hated 
And, and they felt that a lot of people at that time, they thought Jesus was just going to overthrow the Romans. That's why some misunderstood what he was. Well, he hasn't overthrown the Romans. This can't be the Messiah. But they just kind of misunderstood some of these, um, some of these scriptures about who Jesus was going to be. It's the Messiah to save, uh, save people from their sins. Amen. was the purpose what he came. He didn't come to be a political leader. Amen. No, he was, came to be a, a spiritual government. Of his greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Amen. Okay, I want to look at... Um, so I want to look at two more. Isaiah 53, verse 4 to 6. I'm sure if you've been a Christian for some time, you'll know this scripture very, very well known. Talking specifically about the cross and what Jesus was going to accomplish. So Isaiah 53, verse 4 to 6. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, talking about Messiah, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So here, very, very, very clear, written hundreds of years before Jesus came, direct reference to what Jesus was going to do, what the Messiah was going to do. Amen? So people would have, again, carried this in their hearts. Well, this is a, Isaiah 53. It's understood as a messianic scripture. And people would have understood that. This is about what the Messiah is going to do. Now, I just want to show a video clip. It's powerful, this uh, video clip. And I believe this will speak into your hearts. And it kind of just talks about Isaiah 53. Now, one thing I've discovered not that long ago um, is in current day Judaism, um, basically, they, it's so clear. It's really interesting. This is so clear that this, this Isaiah 53 is about Jesus, about all Yeshua, that basically rabbis just do not cover Isaiah 53. They literally, literally leave it out. It's not, it's not taught, and they go to 52. They don't use the same numbering system as us, okay? But we'll, I'm saying, argument's sake, they do. Okay, so Isaiah 52, but they literally will skip Isaiah 53 because it's so obviously about Yeshua that they, they literally just skip it out. Because it's like, it's a, you know, the Bible, uh, Paul says, you know, the cross is, is a stumbling block to the Jews and it's foolishness to the Gentiles. It's, it's, it's a stumbling block. What, what do you then do? It's like, this is clearly describing Yeshua, this, this, this Jewish man who claimed to be the Messiah. Here's a description of who he is, written hundreds of years later. So I want to show you this video clip. I mean, it's powerful. Um, and, and it's, and it's uh, from an organization, um, and there's lots of great organizations that do this, that um, speak about Jesus, about who Yeshua was, is in Israel. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just great that people are having a whole revelation, uh, a whole revelation of this, Amen. But it's all about remember the promised Messiah that this baby would become, and what it says in Isaiah uh, 50, 53. And that's be people that pray. The Bible says we should pray for Israel, Amen. Let's pray that you know it was never God's intention for Judaism and Christianity to be two separate religions. That was not God's purpose and plan. It was about whether they accepted who the Messiah was. Let's be praying for Israel. And, and, you know, people are becoming messianic, Christ, uh, messianic Jews, as they call themselves. Um, the reason they don't call themselves Christians is because that's kind of a cultural reason. So, so Jews that become Christians, they call themselves messianic Jews. Because if you call yourself a Christian, it's almost like denying your Jewish heritage. Okay, so um, it was like we are not a real Jew, as in like a culture, you know, someone who lives in Israel. Okay, so it's like denying the culture of who you are. So they don't call themselves Christians, and that's just a label anyway, isn't it? They call themselves Messianic Jews, those who believe in Jesus. But this is really interesting. Just let this speak uh, into your hearts. Thanks, Dan. powerful right powerful stuff 
Let's be people who commit to pray for pray for Israel, that they will have a revelation of who who Jesus Jesus was. But he, he was our Messiah, amen, and Isaiah 53, and this is why the, the scripture is, is avoided by modern rabbis, because it's so clearly about, about Jesus, about Yeshua, about, about the cross and what the cross was going was gonna to mean for us. So we'll kind of look at these two specific passages, Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 9, about the, about the Messiah. But when we're talking about from theology to reality, what does this mean for our everyday lives, that Jesus is our Messiah, he is, he is anointed one? What does that actually even mean? What, what was he anointed to do for us? And the final scripture wanna, uh, from Isaiah I want to look at is Isaiah 60, 61. And it says this, another messianic prophecy again. There's loads in Isaiah. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus, the, the Christ, the Messiah, the, the anointed one, this is what he was anointed to do. Amen? And Jesus, of course, I'm sure many of you know, Jesus quotes this about himself. It's recorded in Luke chapter 4. He asks for this scripture to be, to be read. For Isaiah 61, verse 1 to 2, he asks for it to be read. And it says this, Luke 4, 20 to 21. Then he, Jesus, so Jesus reads it himself, about himself. Then he, Jesus, rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Amen. Amen. But here, you know, you know this is, a, this is what Jesus was saying. You know this is a mess, messianic scripture. You know this is all about the Messiah. We've just read it again. I'm, I'm here. I am. The scripture is all about. I am fulfilling this prophecy. Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So what does this mean for the reality of our every, everyday lives? This is what Jesus is anointed to do. So it says here, there's different, different things, five different points that Jesus makes here that were said that the Messiah was going to do. Firstly, we have received, it says that the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So as believers, we have received the good news. I'm only glad about that. We've received this good news. In a world, in a world of bad news, and, and it seems to get more and more bad news. We have received the good news. That's what the word gospel literally means. It means good news. We received the good news. The good news that, that we can have relationship with the Father through Jesus. That truly is good news. Amen. We can have relationship with our Creator. We have relationship with our Father, our Father who, who loves us. Amen. He gave his one and only Son to whoever believes and will not perish but have eternal life. We can have relationship with the Father through Jesus. We can be, we can be accepted. We can come into his presence. We don't have to try and go through some kind of religious uh, ceremony or, or beat ourselves up or, or anything else to try and accept uh, or try and get God to accept us. It's all because of the good news, the good news of the cross, as I-53, as we just, just talked about. So the, so the Messiah, the anointed one, he's been anointed for our benefit. Amen? So he's anointed. We, we, because of that, we've received the good news. Amen. Secondly, it says he's anointed to proclaim, uh, sorry, to bind up the broken hearted. You know, as believers, because of the cross and what Jesus accomplished as our anointed one, we've been healed from our brokenness and fully restored. Who's pleased about that? Amen. And, 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 that's, and that could be a continual process. Maybe you've got some brokenness in your life right now. It's, it's God wants to bind that up. Jesus wants to bind that up and, and deal with that, to, to heal your broken heart and to bring restoration and to bring freedom. This is basically a description of what Jesus is in the business of doing. So he said, this is what I've been anointed to do. I've got bringing you the good news. You can have a relationship with the Father. And I'm going to heal you from your brokenness. 
You can be fully restored. Whatever, you, whatever your past, whatever you've done in your past, whatever you regret from your past, I'm going to deal with that. I'm, I'm going to heal all that brokenness. And even if you face future brokenness or brokenness right now, Jesus still wants to deal with it. Amen? And to bind up your broken heart. It says he came to proclaim freedom from the captives. It's because of what the anointed one did for us. We're no longer captive to sin. We're no longer captive to the curse of the law, is how the Bible describes it. The curse of the law was basically saying because none of us could ever fulfill the law that we deserve death. We deserve separation from Jesus. You know, these uh, Jewish people were reading that and could totally get what, was, what, the, what the Messiah, as, as they read it, is what it, what it said. You know, that we, we deserve death. That's, that's, that's the curse of, of the law. We deserve death. We deserve separation from God. But because of what Jesus has done for us, because he was our anointed one, the Messiah, we're no longer captive to sin. Amen? We're completely free from the power of sin. Our sinful nature has been dealt with once and for all. And who the sun sets free is free indeed. Jesus doesn't do, that's what Jesus said about himself. He doesn't do half measures. He doesn't do half jobs. It doesn't matter how complex or difficult your life has been or your past has been. Jesus can set you completely free. Amen? And we can live in that freedom on, on a daily basis. We're no longer captive to sin. And it says, it says, and he came to bring release from darkness from the prisons. You no, know, Paul wrote that we've been brought from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. Amen? Not the kingdom of darkness. The devil is not, is not the king of anything, right? It's a dominion of darkness. But we brought out of the dominion of darkness, but we brought into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the sun that he, he loves. Amen? We've been released from darkness, that, that sin and that darkness that used to bind us. We're now completely free from that, all because of what the anointed one did for us. Amen? Amen? And finally, it says, he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Because of what the anointed one did, and it kind of sums up all the other things that he did, of bringing us good news that we can have a relationship with the Father, healing us from our brokenness, binding up our, binding up our hearts, setting us free. We're no longer captured to sin, being brought out of darkness. We can now uh, live, live in the light and live, live in truth. Amen? Summing them all up, it says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, we now live under the favor of God. He's pleased about that this morning. Because of, because, of, because of the baby coming, we celebrated Christmas, we can now live under the favor of God. Amen? I covered this a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to go into lots of detail, but I talked about us having, we've received every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's what Paul talks about. We now live under the favor of God. Aren't you glad about that? That we live under God's favor. Now, the word grace, it literally means unmerited favor. We're no longer under law, we're under, we're under grace. We have God's unmerited favor. We haven't earned it. We didn't do anything to deserve it. All we've done is accepted the reality of what Jesus did for us. We've accepted he, as we just saw in the video, we've accepted he is the Messiah. It is who he said he, is who he, said he was going to be and who he said he was. He is the Messiah, our anointed one on our behalf. Amen? And as when we accept that, we can then live under the favor of God. I don't know about you, but I want the favor of God in my life. Especially in this crazy world and confused and, and fearful and anxious world that we live in who are just desperately trying to find something to kind of just to, you know, solid to base their life on i talked last sunday about you know building our life on the rock that's more crucial it's always been crucial more crucial than ever in the times that we're in what do we build our life on and then the world's looking for something to kind of just to, something solid to base their life on but we can live under the favor of god amen so as we come towards the close i just encourage you this this christmas let's not lose sight of who this baby was destined to be that he was destined to be our Messiah, our anointed one, our, our Christ. 
And let's not, let's not lose sight of what that means for our everyday lives. Not that it's just a, it was a great story 2,000 years ago, and it was an amazing story. The greatest story ever told, as people describe it as, it is amazing. But let's not lose sight of what it means for our everyday lives. The benefits of that, that anointing of him being our Messiah, the benefits that brings us on a daily basis, that we can live in that reality of receiving the good news, being healed from our brokenness and fully restored, no longer living captive of sin, being brought out of darkness, living under the favor of God, knowing the reality took off our pain and suffering. We considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He's, been, he's dealt with our iniquities. Amen. All of our punishment that was deserved upon us has been brought upon him. And he will be wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace. All these incredible scriptures about who the Messiah was going to be. We can live in the reality of that. We have a relationship with our Messiah. Amen. That's amazing, isn't it? We have a relationship with our Messiah, the, the anointed one, the anointed one sent, sent from God. Amen. Let's stand this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you're so good. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you are our Messiah, the anointed one. Lord, and you're anointed on our behalf. That you came in, you're anointed in order to bless us and to do all these things for us that we've just, that we've just read. Just to set us free, to give us life, to bring out, us out of darkness, Lord, to be forgiven, no longer captive to sin. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord, we would just carry that this Christmas, but also in our, in our everyday lives. We wake up tomorrow morning, we we'll live throughout tomorrow, whatever we're doing, whether at work, at school, college, whatever we might be doing, or just at home. Lord, we will live in that reality of having a relationship with our Messiah and what that means for us. Lord, thank you we live under your favor. Lord, that's just amazing, Lord, your grace, your unmerited favor. Lord, we say thank you. We recognize who you are this morning, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You're so, so good. Lord, we pray for those. As we just watched that video, Lord, we pray for, Lord, for, for Jews in Israel. Lord, who, who had all the prophecies about the Messiah and, and some missed who you were. I pray, Lord, you work upon people's hearts, Lord. As, as it said on the video, Lord, half a million have, um, have come to know you. Lord, we pray, Lord, for millions to come to know you. Lord, for Israel to recognize who you are as their Messiah and, and Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, do what only you can do. Lord, and may we have a daily revelation of what it means for us. You're such a great God. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to pray just a second prayer. I just want to give um, opportunity, as we always do. I believe it's always important to do that, just to give an opportunity for you to respond to the message. You know, and maybe you've, maybe you've gone a bit off track in your, in your life. Maybe you've gone down a road that hasn't been great. and just kind of lost sight of who you are in your relationship with God. You know, maybe you don't yet know God. And, you know, the great news is, we just talked about the, the, the gospel being good news. You can receive that good news this morning. You can know that good news in your own life. You can live under the favor of, of Jesus. You can know what it is to have a relationship with the Messiah, the, the one who's been anointed on your behalf. You can know that this morning. And if that's you, I just encourage you to pray, with, pray this prayer, whether you're getting yourself straight, straight with God this morning, or you've never accepted him into your life before. Let's all just pray this together. Thank you, Jesus that you are the Messiah, the anointed one. Jesus, you came to set me free. You came to bring me out of darkness. You came to forgive my sin. You died on a cross for me. And you rose from the dead. I believe all those things. I accept you right now into my life. 
I want to live for you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you've never prayed a prayer like that before, you're getting things straightened out with God this morning. We would just love just to chat and pray with you. Just encourage you to raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me this morning. Because we would just love just to pray with you afterwards. Is there anyone this morning? Don't miss your opportunity. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Lord, as a, as a church body, Lord, we just commit, Lord, to keep you central this Christmas. Lord, it will be true to be Christ to us. And all the great stuff that happens around Christmas and family time, Lord, we keep you at the center. You as our Messiah, our anointed one. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.